welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. So freedom being what it is, I'm going to freely move forward. Ajay, last time we were together, we mentioned something that I think we all said that's a that's a whole episode unto itself, and that is freedom from the idea that we can lose our salvation. And I think this is, you know, while it's fresh in our minds, but this is a topic we should explore. This may be an entire episode. It may not. It, it's one of those things that there's a lot of contention in the entire Christian world about whether or not you can lose your salvation. And after, uh, after reading a whole lot of verses over the last couple of years, I'm convinced that we can't. But can we back that up? One, one thing I'll add just as the preface to this whole conversation is I re- really feel this contention, if you will, disagreement, argument is based on a law mentality. It's mankind so used to living by that law that it puts that seed in you that if I don't fulfill that law well enough, I might lose my salvation. And to me, when you take that system, that law completely out of the picture and go completely to what Christ has done for us, it becomes less about us and what we can do to lose it and more about what he did for us. Plus, I would one of my thoughts would also be, why do people always go to the absolute worst case scenario, lowest denominator? Even if you could lose your salvation, I'm never going to because I love the Lord and everything he's done for me and know that I'm firmly in his hands. But we're about to discuss why scripture teaches us beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's impossible for me to lose my salvation. Yeah, you know, I think it's also important to understand, you know, why it is important to understand that, you know, we cannot lose our salvation. We cannot really serve God. You know, we saw last time, you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And they that serve the Lord in these things will be approved of God and acceptable by men. So really, you know, we cannot, what this fear of losing our salvation, right? It's the biggest fear you could ever have. I do not really understand those who claim themselves to be Christians, if they truly in their hearts believe that they can lose their salvation anytime, you know, I don't know how they can sleep every day. If it were for me, you know, if I were to lose the salvation, if I do something on that particular day, I cannot go to sleep. And 24-7, I'll be at this one job only, making sure that I am not doing anything that will cause me to lose my salvation. So, First of all, I think, you know, most of us who say that they can lose their salvation, they give lip service to that because this is like uh, one of the things like the confession of sins, right? You confess to get forgiven, right? And most of us sin several times a day. So our whole business in life would be just to confess and get forgiven and go through that because that is the most important thing. And even with salvation, if we believe that we can lose our salvation, We should be at it if we are serious about our salvation. We should be at it 24-7, just trying not to lose our salvation. 
walking on eggshells or whatnot. So it's very, very important to understand that, you know, unless we kind of settle this, there are certain truths, especially the truths that we are discussing on this podcast, before you could walk with God, right? Before you could bear fruit and before you could serve God and serve others, we have to settle some truths in our heart. Until then, you know, we cannot really even think about serving God in any way or form or shape. So one of those things is uh, the firm conviction in our hearts that we cannot lose our salvation. So there are several scriptures, and I think we can look at it from several angles, right? Like Mark already touched, you know, if you have a law mentality, right? To begin with, you know, people are thinking that, you know, I have been saved by the law, by something I did. Now I have to keep myself by something I did. But if salvation is by grace, if I am saved by freely without my contribution to it, right? If there is, if I did nothing to save myself, there's nothing I can do to unsave myself, so to speak. So that is kind of the logical argument, but there are several scriptures to it. Well, be- before we jump into those, I want to back up a little bit to what Mark kind of started out with was that this idea that you can lose your salvation is comes from a law mindset. Standing in a cathedral in the Kremlin, in Moscow, looking at this big mural on the wall, it was a picture of God holding scales. And I asked my interpreter, who happened to be a cantor in the Orthodox Russian church, to explain it to me. And he goes, well, you, you know, what you, you are a collection of your deeds throughout life. And when you die, you go to judgment. And a lot of people, you see the, there are judgments listed in the old, in the Revela- book of Revelations and stuff. And I think they've been very horribly misinterpreted. We may get to that on another show. But he said, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. I said, well, if you live in your life, how do you know where you stand? He goes, you don't. That's why you got to keep doing good deeds. What, what the idea is, if we've been saved from all of our sins, we no longer have to work to, you know, and, and have everlasting life. We don't have to work to do good deeds all the time to keep ourselves right and all these things we've kind of covered in the past. But that definitely puts this whole idea into that law mindset. And I don't think it could be made any clearer than that picture on the back of that church. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think another question that's very closely tied into the question of whether a believer can lose their salvation is whether a believer could know that they really are saved. Because I know I, I know one woman who's been a probably been a believer for well she she's in her nineties, so <laughs> maybe seventy-five years. And even after all those years I've heard her say things that belie the fact that she's not, she's still afraid she might go to hell. She's not afraid of losing her salvation. She's not even sure. Yeah. She's not even sure. And so that's a really good place to, that we all need to start with too, because scripture is clear that once we are saved, we cannot lose that. And we'll get into some of those scriptures. We'll back up that with Scripture in a minute, but I want to just keep talking about that one point, Mark. First of all, you have to be saved. Right. Saved, and I think we've used this term among ourselves, saved rightly. Right. And I think a, I think we need to define that just enough to put the basis, you know, our grounding here into once we have that, we can't lose it. But 
we have to know what is that first. Right. So what is saved rightly? Uh, Jay, why don't you number all the conditions that we have to fulfill for us, would you? <laughs> yeah, all the conditions is basically zero. So when we understand that there are no conditions, right? Simply by receiving the gift of salvation and receiving the gift of righteousness, right? We are saved. When we understand by simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we are saved, right? There are no works there. When we understand that, I think, you know, we actually, you know, keep ourselves from several errors. You know, we don't fall prey to several errors and teaching when we are, you know, like uh, rightly saved, so to speak. So when these evangelists go out to football stadium crowds and thousands of people pour down to the front at the end and say the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus, in that number are people who are saved rightly because they just believe. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people down there that still don't get it. They're following somebody else down because they're walking down. They're they're lip syncing the prayer. They don't really believe it. They're not really rightly saved, right? Yeah. Yeah, In fact, you know, most of the preaching is like, you know, come walk down the aisle and make a commitment to follow Jesus. So uh, repent of your sins or accept Jesus as your Lord, then you will be saved. So some of the conditions are very subtle and they seem actually good. But the problem is that, you know, you're putting a condition that we cannot perform. So no matter how small or how great the condition, if you put a condition that you cannot perform, that person cannot be saved. So that's one of the reasons, right? You know, most of us, uh, um, I am so particular about the true gospel, preaching the true gospel. If you if you start on the right footing, right, your journey as a Christian also will be uh, much more smooth, smoother and less shaky. And the nice thing about starting on the right foot and the term rightly saved is that it's not making things more com- more complex. It's not saying you have to believe this, that, this, you need to add that, that. That's not what we mean by rightly saved. What me- we mean by rightly saved is the pure gospel, faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. That's rightly That's it, yeah. saved. Because sometimes the term rightly means you've got to have all your ducks in a row. That's not what IJ exactly. means. It means on depending upon nothing but Christ himself. Yeah. I like to read the scripture here that I love. What I love about the scripture is it not only answers the question about whether we can lose our salvation, it simultaneously, an- simultaneously answers the other question about knowing whether we are saved and rightly saved. And that is in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 13. And it says, Apostle Paul talking, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So first of all, Paul's saying, when you believed, the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You became God's possession. So first of all, they didn't have to 
first repent of their sin, clean up their lives. They didn't have to go to the front to an alt. There was nothing else they had to do except believe. And I heard a great phrase today by a pastor who he said, when you believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. I just love that way of putting it. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that God himself has, who is the judge of whether you are saved or not? Preachers of this denomination, preachers from that denomination, the voices in your own head? No, nobody can decide that except God himself. And he has marked you with a seal. And he says, you are now my possession. Who is going to be able to steal God's possessions out of his hands? Who's got enough power to do that? Nobody. And then I love the word here. He says that that Holy Spirit and that seal are a deposit, just a deposit, guaranteeing. It's a guarantee. It's a done deal. It's a lifetime warranty and beyond by God himself. There's never been a greater guarantee in the history of creation. Yeah. All right. So that's a good foundational start. We now know there's only one requirement to be saved, to be yeah. under, you know, to, to have the gospel message, you know, and have it straight. And that is belief in Jesus Christ alone. And Mark started to allude to it's forever. It's a guarantee and it can't be taken away from you, Ajay. This is not the only place Paul uses that wording. There are two other places he writes about the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our future is uh, one of the lines he uses in another scripture. Your future is guaranteed. Yeah, in fact, you know, that scripture alone is enough to, you know, guarantee that we will not lose our salvation. But, you know, in several places, you know, the Bible clearly says, in fact, there's this scripture not very well known by many people. I want to read that. It's John three sixteen. I was yeah. just joking. Oh. <laughs> are you the guy with the Are you the guy with the rainbow wig and that sign at all those football games, Ajay? I thought I recognized you from somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. These are the words of Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You know, sometimes we forget that Lord Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He Himself said that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We say Lord Jesus Christ said himself about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is no way Jesus can lie because he is the truth himself. And the one who cannot lie, in fact, the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible. That is a in fact, in the Bible, I do not believe where it says something is impossible for God. It says it is impossible for God to lie. And the one who cannot lie, and it is impossible for him to lie, he is saying that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. So will not perish means will not perish, right? Period. There in itself, the most popular verse in the entire universe throughout all time clearly says, we will not perish. What does that mean? We will not lose our salvation. And do you believe that? And here the condition again, right? You know, there's nothing, whoever obeys me, whoever does everything right, you know, whoever stops committing sinning, none of the conditions, whoever obeys the law and whoever loves his neighbor, nothing. Whosoever believes in me 
will not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the plan of God, right? The plan is such that, you know, God gave his son. And the motivation for God giving us son is the love of God. He loved everyone, not just you or me, right? It's everything is covered here. He loved the world. He does not say he loved the elect. He does not say he loved the chosen. It does not say he loved the Jews. Here is the world is a people. He loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son. Then here, whosoever believes, right? It's open to all. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish. Period. But have everlasting life. Period. <laughs> and uh, yeah, go ahead, Mark. I have a few more scriptures, but I would like you guys to pitch in. There's another scripture. I believe it's John 15. Maybe when you can back me up where Jesus says, I will lose none of those the Father has given me. It is actually John 6. John 6? Okay. I was in the right book anyway. <laughs> yeah, the Bible. That's one of the scriptures I wanted to also bring up, but uh, we can look it up. John 6.39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Yeah, That's even more powerful because he's saying, it's the will of the Father who sent him that he will lose none. That was John 6, what? 39. Okay. Yeah. We encourage everybody to look at these verses for themselves. That's a double whammy there. He's saying the reason the Father sent me is it's his will that everybody he gives me will be with me to the last day. Yeah. You know, the guarantees in here yeah. are powerful. That one in, uh, we, we already talked about in Ephesians 1, about being sealed with the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing. And here Jesus himself is saying, I'm not going to lose any. It's not just my will. It's the Father's will. You know, how much more straight and powerful can it be put? And yet people still doubt it. And like I said, I think it's the law mentality creeping in to bring doubt. And in fact, this uh, uh, John 6, right? You know, if you read the whole passage uh, surrounding the words that you said, it's all about, you know, Jesus guaranteeing that whoever believes in him, nothing, in fact, will have eternal life. In fact, in verse 47, I tell you the truth. He is emphasizing again, right? In... Um, KJV, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you. And in New Living Translation, it says, I tell you the truth. Or most assuredly, I tell you. In other translation, anyone who believes has eternal life. Period. Right? Yep. Just by believing, we have eternal life. And eternal life is the life of God himself. And in John 5, it says, you know, he that sees the Son and believes on him, he has eternal life and he has passed from death unto life and he will not come into judgment. So all these guarantees are from the Lord Jesus himself. Yep. Here's another one in John 6. He says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Yep. Yep. Well, powerful that one is. Yep. But Ajay, you got some more? Yeah, yeah. So again, in you know, John 10 as well, right? If you go to John 10, I believe it's 27. Again, the Lord Jesus saying, he says, you know, my sheep hear John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall 
never perish again. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and my Father are one. So here he is saying, you know, no one can snatch you out, and uh, you cannot perish by yourself. So sometimes, you know, people make this argument, oh, okay, no one can snatch, but I myself can jump out of Father's hand. But if you jumped out of Father's hand, then you would perish, right? Lord Jesus is saying, regardless of the cause, whether you try to perish yourself or someone else snatches you, you will never perish. So it's Lord Jesus who is saying that. So if you take him at his word, yeah, go ahead. And Jesus has really good hands. Even if you jump out, he's going to catch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He already said he's not going to lose any the Father given me. So you can yeah. try to jump, but his love is going to catch you. So that's a point that I struggled with for a while, even after coming to the grace message. And we all know that we're all in different levels of our understanding and acceptance of things as we grow. But I was hooked on the idea that, sure, God would never forsake me and the world can't separate me. And, you know, nothing, principalities, powers, nothing can separate me but me. And I always thought that if Christ's gift of salvation is a gift, I can receive it. But if I can receive something, I can also reject something. Now, I can, you know, I've come to understand that that's true as a sinner before I am saved. I can reject the message and never be saved. But once saved, it took me a long time to come to grips with, and I had to go through a lot of these scriptures that you guys are reading right now, the fact that I couldn't, after I was saved, even by my own actions and deeds and belief system, ever separate myself. Yeah. When a person comes to Christ, even though it sounds simple, I believe I'm given the spirit, I'm saved. So much more happens at the moment of your belief. You're given the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. You're made a new creation. You are declared righteous. You know, I'll let, I'll let it go to you, Noaji. Yep, yep. Yeah, in fact, I was exactly going to talk about that. You know, what happens at salvation, right? In John 1, verse 12, right? This is also uh, a very popular scripture. Uh, actually, from 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. In verse 12, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name again, right? He gave them the right to become the children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire or the will of man, but born of God. So let's stop here, right? You know, how are we born? We are born by the will of our parents, right? Our parents decided to have children, and then we are born. And after we are born, you know, our parents only decide, oh my God, I changed my mind now. I don't want this kid. Will, will we automatically go back into our mother's womb and vanish? That doesn't happen, right? Similarly, here, I think that is human will. By human will, when children are born, we cannot undo that. And now here it says in verse 13, children born not of blood, nor of the desire, nor the will of God, but we are born of God. So how much, you know, once we are born of God, you know, we, in our salvation, what we agree to or what we give the consent to is to be born again. So when we are born of God, our spirit is born again. 
So we cannot just give consent to God to undo it, right? See, when we are born again, it's not our power. God made us born again. His Holy Spirit came and we are recreated a new being in Christ. So just because again, you know, at some point we say, okay, no, God, I changed my mind. Now make me not born again. That's not possible because it's an irreversible act like our natural birth or spiritual birth also is irreversible and it's forever. So that's what happens at our birth, right? So it's not just a matter of, you know, I think we kind of uh, equate salvation to, okay, you go to your friend and then he offers you a gift, right? A nice package. And then you say, okay, you receive it, right? And you take the package home and then afterwards you change your mind and you say, okay, I'm going to go back to my friend here and tell him, hey, friend, you know, it's nice of you. You gave me the gift, but take it back. That's what people equate salvation to, but that's not what happens. Uh, During salvation, just as we are born naturally, we are born spiritually, and it is an irreversible act. And in fact, the Bible says in Romans, the gifts and the callings of God are uh, irreversible or without repentance. So that is just one example, right? You know, just as we are born again by believing, we cannot unborn ourselves by not believing. That's one of the examples. There are several scriptures, but... Mark, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, I mean, there are very, you know, probably many reasons why people ask this question and struggle with it. But I think one is because they've known somebody that they've gone to church with for years who one day just walks away, stop going to church. Oh, did he, you know, he must have lost his salvation. Well, I would just say, unfortunately, Churches are filled with people that are doing church, that are doing religion. Those very people might be serving in ministries. Some of them might even be pastors, I'm sorry to say. But these people do not really know the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't been saved. I mean, I'm sure we could all, I mean, coming coming off of um, all of us from different backgrounds of churches, I'm sure we've all been in churches where we've known people like that, that they go to church because it's the right thing to do. But we're not trying to be judgmental, but you seriously doubt that some of them really know the Lord. Yeah. And so I just think a lot of people think that when those people fall away from church, that's all they're falling away from because a lot of them never really did know the Lord. And Jesus talked about that a lot, too. He said, there will be people that say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Another fancy word for teaching the word of God. Didn't we perform miracles and drive out demons? And Christ will say, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. You know, we can be doing lots of religious stuff that makes us look like Christians, but we don't truly know Christ. Just a little caveat there. I'm not saying that's the only reason. It's a valid question, but I think we've all known people who seem to have walked away from the faith. And my only question is, and we're, we can't judge that. Only God knows the heart of a man. But Let me flip that for the good side, just because I can. I've walked away from churches because I couldn't, after so long, take the message that they were teaching, which was sure. all effort, all works, all, you know, to me, very flesh. It wasn't relationship. It wasn't the tr- true gospel. 
And I would, you know, I mean, I was in a church for a long time where I, I was content to chew the bones and spit out or chew the meat and spit out the bones after, but after a while, I finally got to that point. And I, I mean, involved in this church, I was on the uh, worship team. I was on the drama team. I was on the board of finances. I was, you know, I ran a, a youth group and I did this for years there, five and really did love the place, but the message eventually got to me and I just couldn't take it. And I, I walked away from that church. I didn't walk away from God. I didn't walk away from my relationship, but I did walk away from that, that organized religion, big C church. Sure. And I wasn't trying to intimate that everybody who ever leaves a church is walking away from faith. Sometimes the best thing you can do is get out of a church. If it's, if they're false teaching and preaching a, a perverted gospel, as Paul would call it, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are plenty of people who have walked away from the faith. And only in, it's clear if they really, truly did walk away from the faith, they were never really in the faith in the first place because Scripture is clear that you cannot lose your salvation. Yeah. Here's one more scripture I want to add to some of our proofs here. Romans 9, 33 says, And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So you'd have something to be ashamed about if you walked away, if you were able to walk away and reject your faith in Christ. Yeah. So I just get back to some more of your proof texts. Yeah, yeah. So I think one other beautiful scripture here, right? You know, we just talked about Romans 6. Romans 6, you know, most of the time, you know, we use it uh, to say, to uh, talk about, you know, our, uh, to share the truth that we are not under the dominion of sin anymore. But uh, if you look at Romans 2, sorry, Romans 6 from verse 3, or do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And look at this, verse 6. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This we'll talk about later. Uh, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And verse 9, this is the one I wanted to. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no longer dominion over him. Right? After saying that, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying that knowing that Christ, having been raised from dead, dies no more. Likewise, reckon yourself indeed alive to God and dead to sin. What does that mean? Christ, just like Christ was alive, we are also alive. Will Christ die again? No, he will not die. So that means likewise, we will also never die. Jesus, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. And we, having been raised from the dead, we will die no more. So back to your point, Tim, you know, it's not a simple matter of, okay, I believed, now I unbelieve. So there is a huge uh, transaction, a, a huge transformation happened 
the moment when we believed in Lord Jesus Christ, which cannot be undone. Mm-hmm. We've been given the riches of a glorious inheritance, Ephesians 1, t- Ephesians 1 tells us. It also says here that when we believe, he gives us the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. A true believer has been given the power of the resurrection. Yeah. A person with the power of the resurrection, how are they going to turn from Christ? They've been given the very power of life of of you know of the of the life of Christ. Yeah. That's just not going to lead to a to a rejection. Yeah. I'm going to quote one more scripture and there are many more, but I think this is probably you now we are at time so from the same chapter, right? Romans chapter 6. I think it's important to understand, you know, what happened at our salvation. So Romans chapter 6, again, towards the end of the chapter, from verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves to obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So we can talk about it later. But, but God be thanked that... Though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And this is a verse you know, I want to bring our attention to. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So when we were born again, right? When we believe that form of doctrine, which is a gospel, which says that you know a man is justified by faith without the works of the law. Everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So when we believe that gospel, the Bible says, you know, we have gone from being slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. So by definition, a slave is someone who has no will of his own. Even though whatever a slave wants, it cannot be done, even though if he wants it, right? A slave is purchased by his or her master. So Slaves will, for all practical purposes, it does not count. So whatever the master wills, the slave has to do. So we were slaves of sin. And when we were slaves of sin, just because we will to be out of sin, we could not be delivered from slavery to sin. Similarly, now we have become from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. Same thing. Now that we have become a slave of righteousness, right? Now, if I want to go back to sinning, I cannot do it because now I have become a slave of righteousness. It is actually, you know, kind of might sound a little negative, but what happened is we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, our core nature has become righteousness. That's what it means, right? You know, we are a slave of righteousness in the sense we are slaves to gravity, right? We are on this earth, no matter how much we try, we cannot fly. Similarly, you know, we have this uh, gravity towards righteousness now. No matter how much we want to go away from righteousness, we cannot. And uh, in Ephesians 2, just to go along with that, it says, For the believer, God raised him up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, he seats us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, do I know exactly what that means? No, but it's a good thing, and it means it's a done deal. Because you wouldn't just be walking away from an earth. You'd be ripped out of the heavenly realms. And he said that he seats us there with him 
I mean, God knows the future. He would not seat you in the heavenly realms at his side if he knew. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? That's just not logical. And it said the reason at the point of belief and salvation, he seats us with him in the heavenly realms, is in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. To me, that's just the doneness yeah. of the deal right there. We're already seated in the heavenly realms yeah. as far as he's concerned. Yeah. In fact, it says, you know, in heavenly places in Christ. So we are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So unless Christ dies again or unless someone has the power to pluck us out of Jesus, there's no way we can be unsaved. And we ourselves cannot jump out of heaven to earth. When we believe we've died with Christ, we've participated in his burial and his resurrection, we've been raised to life with him as well, he can never die again. Yeah, exactly. Which means we can never die again. Yeah. For us to turn our backs on Christ would mean he could die again because we're in Christ and we've been raised with him. Yeah. You know, one simple truth of the gospel is, whatever, I think just to close it out, uh, when we believe on Jesus, right, whatever happens to him happens to us. So everything that is true about Jesus is true about us. So when we believe on Jesus, he died with him, we died. He was buried with him, we buried. And he was risen from dead. And we are risen from dead. He is seated in heavenly places. And we are seated in heavenly places. And now, as we walk this Christian life, whatever is true of Jesus is true of us continually. And if, if we were to lose our salvation, again, Jesus has to die, like Mark is saying, and that is never going to happen. Amen. Well, that's been a really deep discussion today. I like it. But we will try and put uh, several, of the, or several, if not all, of the scriptures up that we've been talking about here, and maybe some more that Ajay, I know, has still that he'd love to go over. But uh, like he said, we're at time. Thank you very much for joining us. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.